In Jeremiah chapter 15, let's go ahead and open up our Bibles here. You guys got your Bibles, right? All right, cool. So keep bringing your Bibles and make sure that I teach you the Bible. Again, as we've been in uh, the week midweek service, we've been studying in the New Living Translation. Um, when I studied it, I did New King James primarily, but then as I'm teaching, I'm sharing from this version. And so Jeremiah chapter 15, again, most of you probably know what's going on, um, but just in case you don't, this is God's message from Jeremiah to the southern kingdom of Judah that they were just, they had been disobedient for 800 years. Think about that, 800 years. And God was patient with them. Uh, unfortunately, they didn't listen, though. And so the day would come. First, there would be a siege in 605 B.C. Then there would be one in 597 B.C. Still didn't learn their lesson. The final one came in 586 B.C., where they were taken away captive to Babylon. And it would be kind of like, you know, and this is real stuff. This is real stuff. You got a Christian. They're serving the Lord. They backslide, and they end up in jail. Jail. That happens. That happens. Sometimes they are in prison for life. I mean, things like that happen. And so it can happen different things. A, a guy backslides and he ends up in divorce. Or, you know, someone backslides, they end up, uh, you know, I've seen different things happen. People get um, physically disciplined by God to where they can no longer, you know, do the things they used to do. And so it's good for us to take the, the warnings to heart. I will say this going into Jeremiah chapter 15, that the southern kingdom of Judah, they're going to get disciplined for what they did wrong. And so they're going to go through difficult times and it's going to be tough. God's going to deal with them. But Jeremiah, and this is an interesting chapter. We're also going to see in this chapter something happening nationally and something happening personally. Jeremiah will be going through difficult times. Uh, and so he goes through difficult times for doing something right. And so sometimes people go through the trials of life because they're doing something wrong, sometimes because you're doing something right. But when Jeremiah goes through the discipline and he begins to feel like, man, awful and empty, and you know, he even starts questioning God, God begins begin God then begins to deal with him. And so I was thinking about this. I'm like, Lord, your people who are here tonight, many of them love you. Many of them do. In your future, because you do, you will be opposed by the devil. You will be opposed by the devil. Sometimes you're going to feel very down. Sometimes you're going to get anxious. Sometimes you might get depressed. I don't know how it will manifest in your life. You're going to go through difficult days. When you're there, and I'm just telling you, you're going to feel it. You're not going to feel good. You won't feel good when you're there. Walk by faith, not by feelings. Walk by faith and not by sight. And so Jeremiah is going to get there because, man, he goes through a lot of hard times because of the fact that he is this bold believer in the middle of such a dark world. And so I promise you, if you are strong, if you are bold, if you're not a cowardly Christian, if you're bold, you will lose friends, you will lose followers, you will feel it. But be ready, because as you're there, it's okay. You know, God will work and God will protect you. He loves you so much. And so here, look what it says in chapter 15 of Jeremiah, verse 1. It says, Then the Lord said to me, Even if Moses and Samuel stood before me pleading for these people, 
I wouldn't help them. Away with them. Get them out of my sight. This is an interesting verse. Um, it, some say maybe possibly Jeremiah felt like he wasn't a good preacher. I'm not a good preacher. That's why the people aren't changing. Or I'm not a good prayer. That's why the people aren't changing. And who knows, maybe Jeremiah was going through that. Maybe if I was a better intercessor, then the people would change. My children would change. My friends would change. The church would change. And God says to Jeremiah, listen, Jeremiah, if that's not how it works. You know, even if Moses interceded for them, they wouldn't, uh, that wouldn't change my heart towards them. Even if Samuel interceded for them, that wouldn't change my heart towards them. And that's interesting because those two guys, they were great interceders of the Lord. Uh, when you read about Moses in Exodus chapter 32, you guys remember what happened? If you read the whole story, Moses was up on the mountain. He was receiving the law of God, the new covenant for the Jews. And so think about that. He's up there for 40 days and he's talking to God in order that these people right here that had been redeemed from Egypt might be able to uh, enter into a personal relationship with this God who had set them free, with this God who loves them. And so Moses is up on the mountain, but you might remember what happened. The people got impatient. They said, hey, as for this Moses guy, we don't know what happened to him. What you need to do, Aaron, is you need to take, uh, you need to somehow give us a God so that we can worship. So Aaron said, okay, well, give me your gold, give me your earrings. And he put it in, they fashioned a calf, and he said, this is the Lord, worship him. And the Bible says the, re the people rose up to play. And what that means is they entered into a spiritual orgy. And so God, you guys know what happened, right? In the book of Exodus, how God had redeemed them from Egypt in such a strong way, in a miraculous way. But man, they went off kilter. And so when, when you know, Moses is up there on the mountain and the people are down there playing, God says, get down there. You know, your people, <laughs> he says, you know, they, they have you know, played the harlot. And so Moses goes down. You guys might remember the story. And uh, God says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to wipe them out. I am going to wipe them out, Moses, and I'm going to make a nation out of you. And you guys remember what happened? Moses, he, he fell on his face and he prayed and he interceded for the people. Lord, no, your glory. What will the nations think? Lord, you made a covenant with Abraham and he knew how to intercede. He knew how to pray. He knew how to stand in the gap. And so God didn't destroy them. Uh, and, you, and you read it really often uh, in the ministry of Moses, but the one in Numbers chapter 14 is significant because that was when the 12 tri the spies had gone into the land and they you know, were supposed to just go in and scout out the land because this is a land that God had promised to them. And you know, they came back and 10 of the 12 spies said, we can't do it, we can't do it. Um, there's giants in the land. They have fortified cities. Uh, we're grasshoppers in their sight. After all that God had done for them, they said no. They thought they, they, they talked of stoning uh, Moses and Aaron and coming against Joshua and Caleb. The people had, and again, God just said, okay, enough, enough. I'm going to wipe them out, Moses, and I'm going to make a new nation of you. Now, again, I don't know if that would be tempting for you. Hey, God's going to start a new nation from you. But Moses, again, interceded for them, and God did not destroy them. And so, basically, we're talking about somebody who was a great intercessor. Do you know of anyone who's a great intercessor? 
Someone who stands in the gap for people and God hears them and they just, they impact, you know, that, that way. Samuel, the same thing in 1 Samuel chapter 7, when the, the people, and it's interesting when you read the whole story, the, the high priest Eli and his sons Hafni and Phinehas, they had come in and man, it was just crazy what, what was going on there in the temple. And what had happened was the, the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant but then God brought, the, brought the Ark of the Covenant back and it was there for 20 years. But then eventually what they did is they reestablished their relationship with God. And even though the people deserved to be wiped out, once again, Samuel stood in the gap for them. And then later in chapter 12, when they asked for a king, we don't want you, God, to be our king any longer. We want a human king. Again, they deserve to be judged. But Samuel stood in the gap for them. And the people said, we know that God should judge us but pray for us. And Samuel said, far be it from me that I wouldn't pray for you. I wouldn't sin by not praying for you. If I didn't pray for you, I'd be in sin. And so basically what we're saying right here, what God is saying right here is, listen, even if Moses or Samuel, even if they interceded, listen, it wouldn't change my heart towards the nation of Judah because they had crossed the line. Jeremiah, it's not that you're, you know, you know, it's not your fault. Like, you're not this great preacher. You're not this great prayer. It's that they need to repent. They need to change. And you say, I was even thinking about this. And real quick, as a side note, I was thinking about the whole doctrine that the Catholic Church has called purgatory. If you guys have ever looked into purgatory, and I was even researching it again today, it's just crazy, man. What they believe is that when a person dies, even supposedly as a, as a saved soul, that they go into a place called purgatory, and in purgatory, we can pray them out of purgatory. The Catholic Church teaches that the blood of Jesus is not enough. That when you die, you might, you, you're pretty much, they say most people will enter into purgatory. And when you're in purgatory, you're being purged of your sins. They say that even in purgatory, it even feels like hell. So this is their, this is their doctrine. This is what they teach. And this is why they emphasize you need to pray for them. You need to intercede for them so that they can get out of purgatory and into heaven. And sometimes they're saying the reason they're not in heaven is because you haven't interceded for them. And, and basically what God is saying here is that's not how it works. Even if Moses interceded for them, even if Samuel did, it's not enough. The individuals themselves they have to change. Look what God says again, verse 1. Then the Lord said to me, even if Moses and Samuel stood before me pleading for these people, I wouldn't help them. Away with them. Get them out of my sight. And if, and if I say to you, but, but where can we go? And if they say to you, where can we go? Tell them, this is what the Lord said. Those who are destined for death to death. Those who are destined to war or to the sword uh, to the sword or for war, those who are destined for famine to famine, those who are destined for captivity to captivity. That's not a pretty sight. I mean, and some will say the Hebrew language speaks of, uh, of a pestilence. And so, you know, we're talking about death through pestilence, famine, sword. I mean, it's just crazy. You know, war, captivity. God says, this is where they're going to end up. I will send four kinds of destroyers against them, says the Lord. I will send the sword to kill, the dogs to drag away, the vultures to devour, and the wild animals to finish up what is left. 
Because of the wicked things Manasseh, son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, did in Jerusalem, I will make my people an object of horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. And, and you, you know, you think about dying, um, and for the Jew, there's something worse than death. And that is what we're reading about right here. You know, when an individual dies, it's very important in, in the Jewish culture that they get buried, that they get buried. But God says here, what's going to happen to them is they're going to die and I'm going to, they're going to get sliced up. When you see an individual dismembered, dismembered, it's horrible in Jewish concept. Or when you see an individual body eaten by birds, vultures, dragged away by the dogs, it's as bad as it can get. And God is saying, this is going to be the discipline of my, my people. No, just in case, you know, I'm thinking, okay, you guys are here midweek service and you guys are probably abiding in the Lord and doing pretty good. Um, and we're going to see as we go through our study today that no matter who we are, myself, all of us, God's calling us deeper. But if there's someone messing around, you're messing around and you've been doing it for five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, you're like, oh, God will never do anything. He will. See, this is what we're reading, and he warns you. If you're listening to this study, especially, especially if you're listening to this study, he's warning. I mean, people die. That's why we have to change. We have to change. Some people come to church, they're having an affair, they're living in sexual sin. Some people come into church service, they're getting high, they're getting drunk, and there's different things that are going on. They're the respectable sins as well, and the Holy Spirit is trying to tell them, change. Some people, a lot of guys, they go to church service and they are consuming pornography. And God is saying, listen, it, I, I mean, this is real stuff. God says to them, the inner set, it won't be enough if someone's, well, so-and-so is praying for me. No, it's not enough. You know, look at these things that God says would happen to them. Notice again, it says, because of the wicked things Manasseh, son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, did in Jerusalem. Now, it's interesting to me because uh, when I look at this, a couple of things. Second uh, Kings chapter 21 was the reign of Manasseh. Or Second Chronicles chapter 33, you can read about the reign of Manasseh. He was Judah's worst king. And the crazy thing is he ruled for the longest. He ruled for 55 years. Now his story is an interesting story because um, Hezekiah, God one day came to Hezekiah and told Hezekiah, hey, you know, get your house in order because you are going to die. Now, if the Lord spoke to me through the prophet Isaiah, said, Manny, get your house in order because you're going to die. I mean, hopefully I'm not bragging, uh, I'm not lying when I say, I would say, cool, thumbs up, Lord. I'm going to smell again. I'm going to run again. I'm going to be taller. I mean, things about in heaven, you know, you're excited about going to heaven, right? Uh, but Isaiah, he, he, um, I mean, when, he, when he speaks to Hezekiah, Hezekiah turns his back and he's facing the wall and he's all, you know, bummed and, and depressed. And, and so Isaiah said, okay, go back. 
uh, tell um, um, King Hezekiah that he's going to have 15 more years to live. Now, again, that would be a good conversation. Later on, I want you guys to have that conversation with your friends. I want you to ask them. I want you guys to talk about it. If God said, okay, it's time for you to go home, um, I, I wonder how many of us would say, cool, or how many of us would, 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 would cry and be all you know, pouting and looking at the wall and stuff. And so anyways, but it was during that time that the extension of life that Manasseh was born. And Manasseh was the worst king. Second Kings 21, Second Chronicles 33, you read about what he did and how he led Israel into idolatry, not just like the Amorites who were there before them, but worse than ever. And so um, some people say that Manasseh was the one that sawed Isaiah in half. That's what history tells us. And so this guy was, was the worst. And so I was thinking about that. I'm like, Lord, is it possible for like a nation or a people like to cross the line and this God just says, okay, that sin, what you just did, you just crossed the line and you've sealed your sentence. And I think in one sense we can. I think when, I, um, when I'm you know, thinking about my own life, I mean, definitely certain things, you know, I mean, not that I'm trying to judge certain sins as worse than others, but I just know better. I know better. I can't be feasting on, you know, R-rated movies with naked ladies, and some Christians are like, well, it's no big deal. I mean, there's just a lot of things that I, I can't drink. I, there's a lot of things that I, I just feel like God says to me, don't cross those lines. You know, some guys will even hit their, their wife. I mean, it's crazy. How can a man hit a woman? Listen, ladies, if any guy ever lays a hand on you, you better not let him do that. So there's anyways, there's a lot of things I think there's certain lines. Manasseh crossed lines, but not only did Manasseh cross lines, I think what he did was he introduced things into the nation that, that they, they never repented of. And I was actually thinking about uh, this book. Uh, it's called Seven Men Who Ruled the World from... The grave. I think we have a picture of this right here. Have any of you guys ever heard of this book? Seven Men Who Ruled the World from the Grave. And it, it kind of reminds me of Manasseh a little bit because uh, it's because of the sins of Manasseh and the way that he taught and he seduced Israel in certain ways and lies and things that that's why they were going to be judged. And, you know, I'm sure this list right here isn't exhaustive. Like, I'm sure there's other guys, you know, that you could probably put to the list. But here we have an individual like Charles Darwin, who was really the, the primary uh, individual to push evolution, or Julius Wellhauser. He was a German theologian who introduced uh, what we would call higher criticism, questioning everything written in the Bible. You know, uh, we have an individual like John Dewey who changed our educational system, Sigmund Freud, uh, psychoanalysis, John Keynes, who's an economist and philosopher, Soren Kierkegaard, the father of existentialism, kind of saying, God doesn't have a plan for your life. You guys have it yourself, you know? I mean, things like that. Karl Marx, uh, uh, Marxism, communism. And again, when I think of Manasseh and how it was his fault that God would judge Judah, what he did, I think of stuff like that. I think of the way that these individuals, and you might even be thinking of presidents who introduced things or things like that that have happened in, in history that have unfortunately caused us to cross a line where God says, enough. I have to sentence that nation because, because now it, it's sealed. And so anyways, you know, just this is what's going on. God says, listen, the, 
you guys try to, um, to intercede, it's not going to work. Even if Moses and Samuel did it, Jeremiah, it's not your fault. I mean, he even told Jeremiah, don't pray for them. You know, and then we read here about the reason. Um, we, we read it more. Look what we should read next. It says, who will, who will feel sorry for you, Jerusalem? Who will weep for you? Who will even bother to ask how you are? You have abandoned me, God says, and turned your back on me, says the Lord. Therefore, I will raise up my fist to destroy you. And he doesn't destroy them in the sense that, you know, he annihilates them, but he disciplines them severely. He says, I am tired of always giving you another chance. And I was like, Lord, how many Christians, they just, they just play with your grace. How many Christians do that? Oh, God's forgiven me. Oh, I've done that. Yeah, one, two, three hundred times, a thousand times. And I don't know, when's the proverbial straw that breaks the camel's back? You know, and it could be anything. You know, I think of myself and I think of the things that the Holy Spirit says, Manny, watch your tongue or make sure, you know, you keep an eye on this. You know, we can't take these things lightly. I was thinking about Samson and Samson has so much potential. Samson had so much strength. You know, but unfortunately, he, you know, would mess around with women in different ways until eventually, you know, you guys know the story of him and Delilah. And, you know, Delilah seduces him. Delilah even asks him straight out, where's your strength? And Samson just keep giving in and keep giving in until finally, you know, he goes too far. He rises up and he says, I will do it just like all the other times. And the Bible says he did not know that the spirit had departed from him. See, that's a warning for us. That's a warning for us. You know, this morning when I woke up, it was kind of interesting. I looked out the window and I saw people uh, in, in our street. They were going like, like around. And I was like, hey, what's going on out there? And so I looked outside on the street and I noticed that a tree had fallen. So a tree fell in our neighbor's uh, yard and it fell on the street. And it was a big, old, beautiful tree. It was a big tree. And so um, I was tripping out. I'm like, wow. Um, I went out there and I talked to the guy and he told me, well, the reason is because there's been so much rain and because that particular tree was on a, 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 it's like a slope. And so it's different, I guess. And so he said, because of that rain and the moisture, even though it's a healthy tree, it fell. And I said, oh, okay, that's interesting. And so, you know, woke up, um, you know, my wife eventually um, wakes up. It wasn't that much longer, don't get me wrong, but anyway, she woke up. And uh, she, uh, she, she tells me, hey, the tree in the backyard, our backyard, fell down too. And um, I was like, really? Are you serious? Thank God I didn't hit the house, you know, stuff like that. But it, it, it ha- happened to be an old tree that we've had back there that um, I knew we needed to cut it down, but, you know, who has the $400 or whatever to come and, you know, have someone do it? And so you're waiting. And I was like, hey, cool. And I was all cut down. Now I got to do is get a chainsaw, and I'm good, right? <laughs> and so anyways, I started thinking about it, though. I'm like, Lord, are you trying to tell me something? I mean, you know, you don't want to be mystical and stuff like that. But anyways, for me, one of the things that I was thinking is sometimes you got the healthy trees that fall in one sense. And that old dried up tree, well, yeah, that we knew that was almost inevitable. And, and, I, and we're going to see today that God has to rebuke Jeremiah. 
You know what God tells Jeremiah? Jeremiah, repent. Repent. Kind of like the healthy tree. We all have to have our guard up. You repent, Jeremiah. You gotta, you gotta be careful your attitude. Jeremiah, you gotta be careful. And then, of course, Judah, well, that's the dried up tree. That's to be expected. And 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 how many times? Because I've been a Christian now for a long time, you know, 30 some years. How many times have we have seen the mighty fall? And so here God is just saying, you know, um, you guys ha- have abandoned me. You've turned your back on me, says the Lord. Therefore, I'm going to raise up my fist to destroy you. I'm tired of always giving you another chance. I will winnow you like grain at the gates of your cities and take away the children you hold dear. I will destroy my own people because they refuse to change their evil ways. There will be more widows than the grains of sand on the seashore. At noontime, I will bring a destroyer against the mothers of young men. I will cause anguish and terror to come upon them suddenly. The mother of seven grows faint and and gasps for breath. Her son has gone down while it is still day. And so they were saying like the mother of seven, and it's implied that it's seven sons. And basically what they're saying is that, that that's like the, the dream family. The dream family. You got seven sons and they're all fighting and and now they're all they're all dead. This is the, the, the future of Judah. She sits childless now, disgraced and humiliated, and I will hand over those who are left to be killed by the enemy. I the Lord have spoken. You know, whatever it is, you guys, I hope and pray that, you know, we have a desire for holiness. You know, I pray that there wasn't like any areas of our life where like, okay, God, I give you 95%, but this 5%, you know, I'm going to hold on to. No, my my prayer is that we are such a, a church that loves the Lord, that our thoughts belong to Him. And what we watch on television it belongs to him, you know, and, and what we do, you know, um, when no one else is watching it is holy, you guys. And my prayer is that we give it all to him because, you know, he loves us and the Holy Spirit is making us more and more like Jesus. He's making us holy. But if there's sin in the camp, if there's sin, like, you know, you guys remember the story of Achan and there was sin and he had it there and he was buried underneath this tent and and it, it 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 messed up the whole nation. But what if we began to just fall in love with the Lord? Right here they wouldn't change. They just wouldn't change. They had left, they had abandoned God as a nation. And so here's something that um we see nationally with the nation of Judah, but then the rest of the chapter is something primarily that we see personally. Look what it says next. It says, uh, Then I said, What sorrow is mine, my mother? Oh, that I had died at birth. I am hated everywhere I go. I am neither a a lender who threatens to foreclose nor a borrower who refuses to pay, yet they all curse me. So Jeremiah, he kind of says, I wish I would have never 
been born. Now that's crazy to think from Jeremiah. You know, from Jeremiah, for him to say, what sorrow is mine, my mother, oh, that I had died at birth, you know, stillbirth. And so, you know, there's definitely, what I think, and I'm reading it right here, is there's like some deep emotions here. There's some heavy spiritual battles that go on. And maybe some of you guys have experienced it. Um, but I do know that right here, Jeremiah is having a hard time because he's giving a hard message. He's just saying, repent, 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 and everybody hates him. Imagine if you were hated by everyone. Most of us here, not all of you, but most of us here, we like it when people like us, huh? You know, we want to be liked, but imagine if everybody hated you. And most of the time, you know, we, you know we're in the church and stuff. Hey, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. But what if everyone said, God curse you, God curse you, God curse you? That's what was going on with Jeremiah. They, he was hated, and he was cursed, and it was taking its toll. And he said, I'd rather be dead. I'd rather be dead. Think about that. And again, that's another one of those lies of the enemy, John 10.10. 10. But, you know, we see he's in good company, to be honest. Moses felt that way. Job felt that way. Even Paul the Apostle felt that way. Elijah felt that way. Uh, a lot of the guys who are... They're on the front line serving God with all of their hearts. I'm not talking about those who are half-hearted. If you're here and you're a half-hearted Christian, do not expect this type of opposition. You're like, well, what's he talking about? But if you're here and you're all in and you're for the kingdom and you're all about God and you love him, and you're bold, and you're not like a cowardly Christian, you say what the Holy Spirit tells you to say, then you'll experience the opposition, then you'll be hated. Then you'll be, people will curse you. Jesus said, beware if everybody loves you, if everybody speaks nice of you. There are some people like that. No one would think anything bad about them. Why? Because they're cowardly. You know, I have people who hate me. They're not here anymore. Some of them used to come to church. I remember Monique said, I used to hate you. I don't know why she would come to church here and, <laughs> and hate me. But um, my prayer is that it would grow. You know, we have to make sure that we share what the Lord tells us to share. Jeremiah was in this crazy situation. He was hated. He was cursed. And basically, it was because of the fact that he was telling the truth and and so he was going through it emotionally, and he, he didn't want to live anymore. And so it says, the Lord replied to Jeremiah, I will take care of you, Jeremiah. Your enemies will ask you to plead on their behalf in times of trouble and distress. And so who were Jeremiah's enemies at the time? At the time, really, Jeremiah's enemies were not the Babylonians. Really, the, his enemies were the Jews, the, those in Judah. They were the ones that were coming against him. And when you read through Jeremiah, you know, you read in chapter 20 when he was beaten. You read, I think it's in chapter 37 and 38, where he was flogged and he was put in the mire. He was put in the mud. He had no water, no bread left to die. I mean, it happened to him a lot. Like, imagine, you guys, you're living this life. You're, you love the Lord. You're just trying to be obedient to him. And everyone, the church or whatever, the people of God, they beat you. They flog you. 
They hate you. They sentence you to death. They put you in the miry pit. And then you add to that the emotional things that are going on. We know that there's, that, there's an emotional battle. I mean, it's really difficult for him right here. But God says, listen, I'm going to take care of you, Jeremiah. Your, your enemies are going to actually eventually ask you to pray for them. And then he says something interesting. He says in verse 12, Can a man break a bar of iron from the north or a bar of bronze? Now this right here is probably in reference to the Babylonians who would invade from the north. And it says right here, At no cost to them, I will hand over your wealth and treasures. At this point, he's probably speaking about Judah. He's going to hand over their wealth and treasures as plunder to your enemies, for sin runs rampant, notice, in your land. In your land. Because sometimes when you're reading the book of Jeremiah, you're trying to figure out, was he talking to Jeremiah? Is he talking to Judah? But when he talks about this sin that's rampant in the land, okay, now we know he's talking to Judah, and he's telling what's going to happen. I will let tell your enemies to take you as captives to a foreign land, for my anger blazes like a fire that will burn forever. And so Jeremiah is actually, you know, sharing this. He's writing it down. But look at the struggle that he has. Look, he says, then, then I said, Lord, you know what's happening to me. Please step in and help me. Punish my persecutors. Please give me time. Don't let me die young. It's for your sake that I am suffering. When I discovered your words, I devoured them. They are my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, O Lord God of heaven's armies. I never joined the people in their merry feasts. I sat alone because your hand was on me. I was filled with indignation at their sins. I mean, it's kind of cool when you read this right here, how, how Jeremiah... You know, how he was right on. You know, how we read the fact that, you know, he's going through hard times. They, they want to kill him. He doesn't want to die young. He says, Lord, all I did, and when I was reading this right here, I'm like, okay, is he reading the Old Testament? More than likely, most commentators believe that it was, he was just receiving the word of God, receiving it, devouring it, delighting in it. You know, it's interesting, Ezekiel chapter 3, he read the, I mean, he ate the word. Uh, John, uh, in Revelation chapter 10, he ate the word. I mean, when we're talking about eating the word, it's really cool. He discovered the word, and then he devoured the word, and then he delighted in the word. And so if you're discovering the word, you want to know what's going on? If you find the word, that's what it says right here, when I discovered your word. Some translations say, when I found your word. If you find the word, that means you're looking for the word. You're looking for it, and now you found it. And that's kind of cool when you think of that personal relationship that we can have with God. You can actually hear the voice of the Holy Spirit because you know that we, he said, my sheep, they hear my voice. They, they know me. And so you're looking for it. You're listening with inclined ear. You're leaning into it. And, and he finds it and he devours it. And when you devour it, it's kind of cool because I was even thinking about this. I was reading one guy and he was talking about how, you know, sometimes you got a pastor and he might, you know, you know, find the word, and then he just like dishes out the word. I discovered it, and I dished it out. I discovered it, and I dissected it. 
Well, that's cool, but that's not really enough. Discover it. Devour it. Take it in. Assimilate it. Let it become part of you. That's what Jeremiah did, and it's a good thing that he did that, right? We need to devour the Word. And for us, we have the Bible. God will sometimes speak in a still, small voice, but you have to make sure you test it with the Word of God because it may be that you ate too many tacos the night before, something like that, so be careful, right? But right here, Jeremiah is saying to the Lord, I don't get it. You, you see the way that I love you. You see the way that I don't sit where they sit. And that reminds me of Psalm chapter 1. He didn't walk where they walked. I mean, he, didn't, he, did, he, he did not sit with them. He, he even had this indignation at their sin, right? He, he was just saying, Lord, I don't get it. But look what it says right here. Why then does my suffering continue? Why is my wound so incurable? Your help seems as uncertain as a seasonal brook, like a spring that has gone dry. I mean, it's weird to even think that that Jeremiah would, would be writing this, would be saying this, but he does. I mean, he questions God. You know, why does my suffering continue? Now, that's a good question. And, and, the reason is because we live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. We're not home yet. Earlier in Jeremiah chapter 12 and verse 5, he said, you know, I, Jeremiah started complaining about the ministry. He started complaining about being a prophet. And you know what the Lord told him? He said, man, if you're getting tired while you're running with the footmen, what's going to happen when the cavalry comes in? I'm here to tell you, and I need to tell myself, that it's not going to get easier. You know, a lot of us, I think myself included, I'm thinking, okay, well, I've been a Christian for a long time now, and it's going to get easier. It won't, not if you're seeking the Lord. The cavalry's coming. The world's getting crazy. Now, I know Jesus said my yoke is easy. So in one sense, there's a certain aspect of peace and beauty and, you know, the way that he bears us on his shoulders and he bears us over his heart as the high priest. You know, so don't misunderstand that. But whatever you do, don't think, well, if I'm a Christian, then my suffering will cease and all my emotions will be, you know, right on point and I'm going to feel great. No, you won't feel great. You won't. Because we live in a fallen world. Here Jeremiah says, I don't get it. Why my, my suffering, it just continues. And, and it's interesting. He said, why is my wound so incurable? Now, now, now something's happening now. And what's happening now is he's starting to believe lies. He's starting to play with lies. Listen, if you have a wound, if you have a broken heart, God can heal it. God can heal it, but you have to give it to him. Give him all those broken pieces. You know, right here when we're looking at it, why is my wound incurable? And maybe it's a physical thing that he's going through, like Paul the Apostle. I don't know, but there is this struggle, and it's definitely deep. But notice what he says next. He says, your help seems as uncertain as a seasonal brook, like a spring that has gone dry. You know, and so you got this brook, and sometimes it has water, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes God helps you, sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes I think Christians feel that way, when in all reality, you know who lives inside of you? The helper. God will always help you. 
You have to make sure that you don't believe those lies. If you're going through something, understand it's been filtered through God's sovereign will, and your Father has allowed it for you because it will be a blessing. Trust Him. Trust Him. He's not going to let you down. Right here He says, like a spring that has gone dry. No, God does not go dry. We go dry, but not Him. As a matter of fact, earlier he said, I'm the fountain of living water, this gushing torrent. I will always be there to help you. But you know one of the things that we discover right here? Jeremiah is human. He's human. He's just like us, you guys. Because we, you know, maybe you're here and you're perfect and you've never gone through any struggles. But a lot of us do. You know, and so right here, as Jeremiah is going through it, he's honest, he shares, he questions. Lord, it just seems like you're not helping me. You're not helping me. And so God just says, oh, mijo, it's okay. No, I'm just joking. He doesn't do that. Look what the Lord says. This is how the Lord responds. If you return to me, I will restore you. So you can continue to serve me. If you speak good words rather than worthless ones, you will be my spokesman. Jeremiah, you must influence them. Do not let them influence you. They will attack against you. They will fight against you like an attacking army, but I will make you as secure as a fortified wall of bronze. God had promised him that in the beginning of his calling in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 18. They will not conquer you. Notice the reason, for I am with you to protect and rescue you. I, the Lord, have spoken. Yes, I will certainly keep you safe from these wicked men. I will rescue you from their cruel hands. I mean, it's so cool. God says, listen, I, I know it's hard. And I, and, I, and I understand you're just being transparent and honest with me. But you want to know what's really going on in your transparency and in your honesty and in all your questions? You're backslidden. You are, Jeremiah. You've been telling them every, this whole time that they are. Now you, in one sense, maybe not to the same extent, obviously, but to a certain extent, he needed to return to the Lord. And I think for a lot of us here, if we're honest, that's what we need to do. We need to deepen that relationship with God. You know, we need to be more intimate in our prayer life. You know, maybe God has called you to fast and we've just been feasting. You know, I don't know. I don't want to give you guys the divine details, but... Right here, Jeremiah was having a very difficult time, and God says, listen, if you return to me, then I will restore you, and then you can continue on in the ministry. Jeremiah, you're going to be my spokesman. you got to be careful that they don't, you know, you got to be a leader. Don't let them lead you. And it comes back to the same you know, promise that God gives to us in Matthew 28. Um, you know, to, we can go and make disciples of all the nations, right? We can actually fulfill the Great Commission because of the fact that He is with us. And so that's the promise. God says, I'll bless you. I'll, I'll, I'll do this beautiful work in your life. 
and you can continue in the ministry or you can uh, i've seen you know uh, so many mighty fallen you know you got the the tree that you would have never ever expected and that one falls and then you got the one over here yeah well that one that one kind of makes a lot of uh, that one falls and you know just different things that happen in life and so as a pastor I always get consumed with the fact that I know everyone here has a calling on their life. There's certain things that God has called you to do. And all we want, you want you to do far above what we've ever done, is just finish that race, whatever that is that God has called you to do. And it's not going to be easy. And when it gets hard and when you're not feeling it, understand that's part of the process because now maybe you're running against the cavalry. But God, you know, won't force you. Well, I got my pastor praying for me. I'm sure I'm going to be okay. I got my mom praying for me. I'm sure I'm going to be okay. I got the church praying for me. I'm sure I'm going to be okay. No, the intercessors, it doesn't matter if it's Moses or Samuel. We, we have to choose to do what God's called us to do. And as we do, not, not, not pressure, not like a, a million rules, not legalism. No, we're talking about this beautiful, intimate relationship with God. It's so sweet. But as we're there, then you're going to see God move in a, in a great and mighty way. Now, I forgot what day it was. Uh, um, I got a phone call. What day was it? Ah, I forgot. I, was, I can't believe I forget like things that happened three days ago. <laughs> but anyways, we got a phone call that there was a bird in our fireplace. A bird in our fireplace. Has that ever happened to any of you guys here? A bird in your fireplace? Nobody? All right, so we got one guy. All right. So anyways, I, I right away I'm online. I'm like, what do you do when there's a bird in your fireplace? And you, obviously you have different options. You can, you can let it die if you want to. And that's one option. You guys would never do that, right? I'm sure none of you here would ever do that. But, um, you know, I was thinking, okay, um, trying to figure it out, looked online. They said, okay, when it gets daytime, what you need to do is you got two options. You can try to cover it with a blanket and capture it um, because it can't go up the chimney because it can't spread its wings wide enough to fly up the chimney because it's a smaller hole. And so you can try to catch it maybe with a blanket or something or you can let it out and then just, if it's daytime, then it'll, it'll fly, you know, to the light. And so I said, okay, cool. So, you, you know, of course we had to kind of like put up a sheet in this opening and close that door and that door and put up a sheet in this opening because you don't want it to go all over the house. You know, you just want it to try to go out. And so we have this one room where it has a sliding door and then there's another sliding door out in our lanai. And so the bird, um, eventually, you know, I covered everything up. I let it out. But homeboy would not leave our house, man. He was just kicking it in our house. And I'm like, dude, the, the opening is right there. You know, go. And so he eventually goes into the next room. But now there's another sliding door. I'm mean, look at the beautiful, you know, outdoors, man, go. And he was going from this side to this side. And he's having a hard time. And I'm trying, I don't, you know, I'm trying to be really nice and, and uh, you know, I even set up this one sheet, but man, he jumps the sheet, and he's all over here, and this and there, and it took a, a long time, but thank God, eventually, the bird had enough wisdom to fly to freedom, to fly to freedom, and I was so happy, because some people were thinking, just kill the bird, no, 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 I was so happy. 
And I was thinking about myself and I was thinking about myself and I was like, Lord, how many times when it's right there, right in front of me, God is saying, it's right there. Just do the right thing. Say the right thing. Think the right thing. Go the right way. But we can't, God won't force us. We have to choose to do that in simplicity and honesty. And as we do, in one sense, it's, it's freedom. You know, we don't want to be in bondage in the fireplace or bondage in the house. You know, we want to be free to follow the Lord.